And welcome to the Actual Astronomy episode 41, the Backyard Observatory episode. And Shane, my apologies, I'm a bit dragged out uh, this morning because I did pretty much stay up all last night. I slept for about three and a half hours between uh, 12.30 <laughs> and quarter to one and uh, about four, uh, quarter, quarter to four in the morning. So I uh, did, did ramble on a little bit in the last episode. I'll try not to uh, subject you to that as much on this one. <laughs> The life of an astronomer, no sleep. I, well, yeah, I, and I right. mean, it does go back to the fact that, that we are actual amateur astronomers. We're doing this because uh, we love to do it. And, uh, you know, if it is clear in that, like we're, we're going out and actually doing visual astronomy, and then uh, we sort of report back uh, on our observations uh, once a week and have that conversation and working through our new gear. Um, and then on the other one, we, we focus on some of our other interests. And this one, this one is something I, I seem like I go through a period or two every year where I get obsessed with backyard observatories. Uh, so, yes. And I know that your obsession has, has in fact, uh, in the past anyway, led to the purchase of a backyard observatory. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your observatory first? Yeah, for sure. So I have a, uh, a backyard observatory. It's a sky pod. Um, it's like a plastic molded dome observatory that uh, has a little door on it and you, you flip open the dome. It, it looks like a very, like when you think of a uh, astronomy observatory, this is kind of what you think of in your mind, I think. And uh, so, yeah, you flip up half of the dome, it rotates 360 degrees to expose any part of the sky. And, um, you know, an observatory was something that I always thought would be nice to have. But, you know, with the cost of them, I just never really thought that I would own one. Um, and then I kind of lucked into the one that I have today. Uh, one of our, one of the members in our Royal Astronomical Society Center uh, had one and was moving away from the city. And uh, um, at the time, while well, I'm still the newsletter editor, and, and he would send me some astro photos occasionally. And I got an email from him saying, hey, Shane, um, you know, I don't really know how to use the club email lists too well. Can you send out an email uh, telling the club that I have my SkyPod for sale for $500? Oh, this, is in, this is sounding like insider information. It is, yes. <laughs> I was totally abusing my privilege. <laughs> so I said, well... You I just took that role as a volunteer <laughs> newsletter editor for 10 years in order to save uh, a couple hundred bucks on a SkyShed pod. Well, you know, I saved probably like $5,000. Well, not quite oh, really? that much, but there, I think, uh, oh, I should have looked before we did this podcast. They're either 3000 or 4000 US dollars for a brand new one, for the same okay. one that I have. Yeah, it's, and, it's gone uh, up. I think when they first came out, they were, the price point was like 1999 or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, so needless to say, I didn't send the email to the club. I just said, Hey, uh, I'll buy it for that price. And like, you know, like I said, I really wasn't planning on an observatory. I just <laughs> lucked into it. Um, so, uh, I've now had it for many, many years. Um, I think about seven to be exact. Uh, and you know what? My interest on an observatory is kind of waning now. I'm actually thinking of selling it. Uh, so we can maybe get into some of these details. Um, I guess maybe let's just start off with why you'd want an observatory. Like other than, you know, for us nerds, for us astronomy nerds, it's kind of a cool thing to have. Um, the reason 
that or, or what appealed to me uh, there's there's a number of things so you, you store heavy gear in there you don't have to take the gear in and out of your house or your garage you just have it outside and it's ready to go mm-hmm. um if you're into astrophotography or like in our last podcast you were talking about a tracking mount that you just recently acquired yeah with any of those electronic amounts um, there's alignment procedures that have to take place. There's also leveling that has to take place. Um, all of that takes time if you want to do it right and have the mount work as advertised. Mm-hmm. And if you're an astrophotographer, it, the need to do that precisely uh, is absolutely essential. And it can take an awful lot of time out of your observing session if you're messing around with alignment. Yeah. So if you can leave that in your observatory, you save that step. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, if you live in the prairies, like we do, there's almost always a breeze or some kind of wind. Oh, I had um, noticed. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, not only does that cool you and make, make you uncomfortable, but it vibrates your telescope sometimes. So an observatory helps <laughs> protect you from that. Blows your neighbor's shed into the field across the street. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That can happen too. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're particularly in a city, like, you know, you, your neighbor probably has a backyard light or something like that, or maybe there's a street light that's close. Uh, sometimes you can use the observatory to shield yourself from some of that stray light, which yeah. helps a little bit. Um, and, and I guess, you know, those are probably the key reasons. Oh, you know, so, the other thing too is like if you have a, a night where you're not sure if the conditions are great or maybe your energy levels aren't that high, if you have everything outside and you just flip the lid on your observatory to observe, you get more observing done because it's just easy. Um, yeah. It takes a lot of that effort out of observing and um, that's really nice. Um, cool. Really nice. So maybe... Um, maybe some considerations uh, that I never knew about uh, prior to owning an observatory that, um, you know, make it, make it a little bit less rosy than I first thought it was. Okay. Maybe, can I just hop in for a second and say like yeah. you, this, this is probably the most in a way scripted podcast that we've done because you and I were actually having this conversation this week yeah. and, and you said, Hey, why don't we just, chat about this and I was like not even as a podcast and I, I kind of said I kind of feel a podcast coming on um, yeah. because I, I was asking you about your observatory and experience with owning one because I'm I'm looking at getting some some land as uh, and I call it an observing site because I'm really looking for a place um, uh, to to observe out of and and for, for you it might come out and and to observe with me at um, but I've been to uh, many backyard observatories and still remain a little bit on the fence about, about these kind of things. So I was, I was kind of looking for your feedback. Um, so anyway, with that, with that context, with me kind of thinking about uh, getting some uh, land, and of course, when you think about, well, geez, if, if I own the land and I'm an amateur astronomer, why wouldn't you build an observatory? Like if, if you kind of knew those two things about me, that I'm, I'm a pretty hardcore amateur astronomer and I've got this really great dark sky land that I bought for doing astronomy on and you come out there and you don't see an observatory, you wonder, why did you do that? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. But you um, have, you have some pretty good, you, and I shouldn't say pretty good. You have really good advice on this, I think. So I'll let you take it from well, there. Well, this is, yeah, I'll just share my experience and um, why it's not probably great for me, but if I was willing to put in probably a little more effort and maybe some money to solve some of the problems that I have, um, maybe I would uh, get back to enjoying an observatory or, or actually want to keep it. But um, maybe I'll start off as saying too, there's, if, if you're, if anybody's thinking about a backyard observatory, I think there's kind of two paths you can go down. One is you buy like a prefabbed molded observatory, like what I have, the, the SkyPod. I think that's the name of it. Sky Shed, Sky Pod, something it's, like that. It's the Sky Pod, but I think the company is, I think it's Sky Shed. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. It's right. out of Ontario. And oddly enough, that company, when it started up, I was my observing site. And I was really excited that if we stayed in Ontario, that I would um, be a great customer of theirs because they were so close to my observing site. They were less than... 40 kilometers away from where I observed that uh, they wouldn't charge me for like going up and setting up the stuff. Like they would just use my observing site as, as basically test. And I would just pay for the gear because oh, I wow. was, I was probably among the clothes. There's, there's one other guy I know who was closer, but he wasn't, he built his own. Um, so I, I was probably, you know, me and my friends were, were definitely the probably largest group of amateur astronomers uh, to, to where, uh, Wayne and that has their, their facility over there. So I was really excited about that. And then of course I move 3000 kilometers away or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think they're one of the more popular manufacturers of observatories, but there are a couple others. Unfortunately, I don't have their names off the top of my head. And I was looking, the only reason why I know this is I was looking at them recently. I think there's, there's home dome, which I believe is another recent Canadian product, which uh, is out of uh, BC. And I think their dome actually will fit on the Skyship pod. Now the Skyship pod is like a clamshell so that half of the dome flips up. The home dome is like a full on proper dome. And they, actually, they also sell bases. I think it's, it's around the same price as the Skyship pod. There's Explora dome, which is a little bit higher end than, than those two. Um, and requires a little bit more uh, of a significant investment. I think you really have to build a building around it. And I've been in uh, at least one of those. And then there's out of the UK, I've never seen one of these in person, but Pulsar Observatories. Hmm. And uh, anyway, I think, I think those are probably sort of the, the main option. I think PureTech makes one. And I think there's another one or two ash domes. I think these ones are getting pretty expensive though, as, as we go along okay. here. Yeah. Yeah. They certainly can get quite pricey. Yeah. Um, so that's one path. You can buy one of these prefabbed units and, you know, probably enjoy it an awful lot. Uh, another thing is you can build your own. And um, if you just Google like do it yourself uh, astronomy observatories, there is an unlimited amount of designs out there um, from little contraptions that just kind of cover a mount uh, to full on like sheds with a roof that rolls off to expose the night sky. Um, and uh, like I say, the designs, <laughs> there's a lot of different neat ones out there. And the cool thing about doing it yourself is then you build it to your specification, you know, to mm -hmm. house whatever instrument you want to put in there or, 
you know, whatever, you know, if you need special shelving for your books or eyepieces or however you want it yeah. to look. Um, probably, a, you know, one downside I would say to building your own is I, I just imagine you would have a little more upkeep. Um, like whether it's shingling the roof or painting the walls or whatever it might be. I, you know, I think you're going to have a little bit more to do if you build it yourself. Cause these prefabbed ones, like the sky pod, it's, it's plastic, right? So it yeah. doesn't need to be painted. It, I've never done anything to it other than when I first bought it, I recalked some of the joints cause it, you know, it comes in pieces and you have to attach it. Um, that's all I've ever done. And, mm. and it just kind of maintains itself. It's, it's really good that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, other things though, about the observatory that you have to make sure you consider, um, are, well, weatherproofing is probably number one. Um, obviously with electronics, you know, the, the like moisture and humidity are bad. You don't want any of that getting in to your observatory. Um, and, and that can be a little bit of a challenge. Like a lot of the observatories will keep rain out quite easily. Mm -hmm. um, but where I struggle is with humidity in my dome. Yeah. Um, so I used to keep a telescope on the mount in there. Um, and then I put in a remote temperature sensor, sensor that also senses the humidity and I could monitor it every day. And during the warmer months, just about every night, I'm a hundred percent humidity in that observatory every wow. night and in the morning, like I'll go in there say at 7 AM uh, just to open it up and air it out or, or, you know, clean it out. The, like the walls of the plastic are just wet, like Ooh. visibly wet. Um, so now I haven't built mine or placed mine the way I probably should. Like I really just have it on the ground and, and they don't recommend that it should be on some kind of a foundation. Yeah. Um, but even with that, like, unless you put it on a, like a cement pad, um, like there's a few ways to solve this. One would be a cement pad. Cause I think a lot of the humidity I'm getting is coming up through the ground. Right through the ground. Yeah. Yeah. So a cement pad would work, but the downside to a cement pad and again, like I've researched the heck out of this um, over the last few years, trying to look at ways to improve my situation. The downside with a cement pad is it collects heat like a rock does and then slowly radiates it all night long. Oh, and really? And I've seen analysis that uh, guys have done with like temperature guns and like that cement block, unless it gets really cold really fast, that cement block is always many degrees warmer than the air around you. Huh. So then it's constantly radiating some heat up, which yeah. kills your seeing. And yeah. you know, that's a bad thing. And huh. my dome on any summer day, it could be 25 degrees out. As long as the sun is shining on it, it will exceed 40 degrees Celsius within the dome. Oh, wow. Um, now there's things you can do to make that better. Like I believe Skypod offers uh observatories with insulation in them so that yeah. helps keep the sun out but it's really like a miniature greenhouse even though it's uh it's not see-through the other thing i heard so my my observatory is a kind of a light gray yeah uh, if you go with a white one apparently that helps a lot better keep like with the temperature inside yeah. but i'm mentioning that because if you have a concrete block well, and it's getting 40 degrees in there during the day. That it's, concrete is yeah. really heating up a lot. So yeah. some considerations there. 
So now let's say you don't want uh, to put it on a concrete block. Well, some people will put it on a deck, but Chris, you'll, you'll know this right away that, you know, a deck uh, just introduces vibration. Yeah. Um, like if you have a tripod or a pier and it's connected to any of the wood in that deck, I don't think it really matters how well that deck is braced. If you just like lean on your chair a little bit, and if you're observing a planet at a high magnification, there'll be yeah. vibration that transfers through that and you're going to notice it and it'll frustrate you. And if you're doing any kind of photography, it'll completely ruin that exposure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but the thing, the nice thing with the deck is it would allow the observatory to breathe a little bit better. Right. Yeah. So now you wouldn't have the humidity issues or the yeah. heat issues. Now I suppose the only thing you could do is like drop a pier in through like a hole in the deck and go that route. Yes. Yes. That's what a lot of people do. Yeah. Uh, the, the middle of the deck or the wood, you know, yeah, the wood base would have a hole in the middle where you drop a pier down, but to do a cement pier properly, like that's no small undertaking either. You, you yeah. know, you're probably boring a hole, I don't know, four to six feet down, filling it with concrete. Uh, I, I looked at the frost line because they say you should go two feet below the frost line. Okay. And I correct me if I'm wrong. So like where I'm from, the frost line is max maximum two feet and i boy probably not even quite so you and they say i think to go two feet below the frost line so you go down four feet okay i think here in regina the average frost line is six. Oh, i'm not too sure yeah i've never really looked into it so you'd much. have to go i mean you might as well get a telephone pole yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. The, the reason why i never looked into it is um like you just have to be a hundred percent committed to that because it's, it's a lot of effort to sink a cement pier into the ground. And then if uh, in five years or whatever you decide you want to move it or you don't want it anymore, uh, good luck getting that thing out. <laughs> you know, like that, that would yeah. be a monumental effort. So th those are, um, those are some key considerations. Um, my, my observatory, I don't have power ran to it mm -hmm. because um, the mounts that I used, I was just going to use portable power to power them. Um, but I think like to do an observatory properly, you need to have like AC power ran to the observatory yeah. uh, to run like a dehumidifier or to run an exhaust fan to help get the humidity out. And I've um, seen people online just because I was looking recently like running like getting an extra bay you can get these bays added to them and running like an yeah. air conditioner in one and a dehumidifier in another yeah yeah exactly um which you know this starts to turn into a really really big investment not just financially but effort wise maintenance wise and you know when I started to look into doing all of this stuff I was like gee you know it's it's really not that hard to me to pull a, a mount out of my garage and yeah. uh, throw it on the back pad. So, cause it got to the point with me where all I was leaving in my observatory was the mount. So yeah. when I would want to observe, I, my, I'd take one trip out uh, with a telescope, you know, and then the next trip would be like my hand controller for the mount because I would never leave the hand controller in there because of the humidity issues. Um, yeah. The hand controller has the key electronics to make that mount work and they're the most sensitive. So you don't want that, you know, out there all the time. So first trip telescope, second trip, 
the battery and the hand controller for the mount and my eyepieces and hopefully a star chart and hopefully a glass of water <laughs> you know, to, to yeah. kind of make the session enjoyable. So I was doing two trips um, to use the thing. Well, right now I basically do two trips to just observe in my backyard anywhere because yeah. you know, my little 76 millimeter Takahashi is on a mountain tripod right by the back door. So that goes out in one load yeah. and the next load is my eyepieces and I'm out observing. Yeah. And you know, another consideration, if you're putting an observatory in your backyard and you live in the city in particular, but I guess really anywhere you have to do a little bit of a scan of your field of view from where you think your observatory will go and then determine if there's any obstructions. Yeah. Um, in, in my backyard, I have multiple obstructions. And where my observatory is, I, I would lose, I bet, two to four weeks of planetary observing because I would have to wait for the planets to traverse quite a ways into the southern sky before I can see them from where my dome is. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I just throw a tripod on my patio, I can observe the planets much earlier in the season. Um, I can't even see Venus in the night sky from where my observatory is most of the time. Like the Venus yep. observing you and I did earlier this year, yep. there, there's just no way. Uh, my house was in the way. <laughs> so I, would, I was just on a regular old tripod. Yeah. So needless to say, um, you know, over the years, um, my observatory just gets less and less use. So I'm, you know, I'm getting close to selling it. Um, the other thing too that I haven't mentioned yet that has kind of annoyed me, I haven't had any rodent issues, but I have a ton of insect issues in there, like, you know, spiders and all sorts of bugs and, and that, you know, again, it's largely because it's on the ground, but, um, you know, there's, it's just not as like, it's such a romantic, or was it's anyway, not sexy. Very, <laughs> no, it, it was such a romantic thing. Like, you know, have, yeah. have this observatory and, you know, maybe you name it and you put a brass plate on the front of it and you take yeah. pictures and you show friends at work and they go, wow. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you really and, are a nerd, Shane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we had no idea. <laughs> oh, they've known that for a long time. <laughs> But, um, you know, <laughs> to, be, practice, to be fair, like you and Mike are the coolest astronomers that I've, that I've done astronomy with, to be frank. But, uh, well, you know, nerd is a term of endearment for me. Yeah. I, I, I wear that badge proudly on my sleeve. Yeah. Um, you got, you guys are pretty cool though. Like to be, to be frank, some of the other astronomers I've, I've done astronomy with, not, not nearly as cool as you guys. Well, I'm honored, <laughs> <laughs> but, but needless to say for me, uh, the backyard observatory, um, I've learned a lot and it's just, you know, it, it, I guess maybe I had the wrong idea getting into it, that it was sort of a build, you know, build it and, and everything else is just, you know, perfect and easy. And the, the real part of that is, you know, there's a lot, there's some effort, there's some ongoing effort required to utilize it. And I guess maybe for me, because I'm a visual observer, uh, I don't use any go-to mounts. Some of those reasons why you have an observatory don't really apply to me. Mm. Um, the electronic mount that I have is the Losmandi uh, GM9. Uh, it was made for Celestron. Um, it doesn't. It, it has full tracking features, but no go-to. So if you're just tracking, the only things that are really that important when using an equatorial mount like this one is, is that you have it roughly pointed north, and that you uh, have it roughly level. 
If you achieve that, the tracking will be spot on for visual observing pretty much the entire night. Um, so it's pretty easy for me just to plop that out anywhere in the backyard, point it north, and I'm, you know, I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So that's kind of my observatory stuff in a nutshell. The, uh, the Regina uh, Royal Astronomical Society um, has an observatory out at their dark sky location. And it's a roll-off roof observatory. And it actually used to belong to uh, Lucian Kimball, who yeah. is a famed amateur astronomer, has an asterism named after him, Kemble's Kem- Cascade. Kemble's Cascade, yeah. Yeah, which he observed from this observatory. Um, when it was somewhere off. else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It took a bit of an effort to move it to where is it, it is now. Is it working? Is it operational? When I was last out there, which is a number of years ago now, and it, it didn't work. It's operational, um, but it's not being operated. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's basically uh, like, I think it's largely used for, for storage. I think there's some telescopes that are in there. And it's kind of like sad in a way though, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. The, the roll-off is a really neat concept. Um, it, it, it has like these long tracks that um, had like these metal covers so that leaves and you know, dirt can't foul up the track. So you take the metal covers off. There's a couple like uh, little locking things inside the observatory so that that roof was held in place. You release those. And then like it was the, the entire roof was on wheels, a whole bunch of casters. And then you just pushed it and it wasn't a lot of effort. Um, and then the entire roof slid off. Yeah. And what is so nice about that style of observatory is you have the whole sky the whole available sky, to yeah. you the entire night. The clamshell, like what's on the sky pod, one of the knocks on that design is you, you lose the zenith. And even like a few degrees around zenith, you really can't achieve. That's the um, overhead area. Yeah. Yeah. So SkyPod has like this modification that you can add that uh, turns it into a roll off. So the whole clam just rolls off the back and then exposes the whole sky to you. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a neat uh, and, or, or, or a fairly nice option. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't know what kind of effort goes into building a roll off though. Cause like, I, maybe there's some prefab options out there, but I think you sort of have to design it yourself and figure out how to, how to build it and then put it all together. Well, Skyshed of, of Skyshed Skypod fame, they, they started with the uh, a prefab roll off and they're, they're pretty nice. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that's where they, they began. You can get them from six by six up and up like pretty large, large sizes. Um, and like you're saying, you know, they, they roll off the roof, like rolls straight off um, to one side uh, or another. But I, I've been in a few roll offs and yeah, definitely the advantage is you get to see the entire sky. So it opens, it opens right up. And then the other is, is that it just looks like a garden shed, like a really nice little garden shed, basically. And so um, like, you know, if, if you're going to move or whatever, you pretty much got to sell the observatory um, or, or, you know, anybody going by is going to look and say, I'm pretty sure that's an observatory or it's a small missile silo in Shane's backyard or whatever. Like, well, that's a great point. And I'm glad you brought that up because, um, if you want to be inconspicuous, like, let's just say you're, you have land in the country and you don't live there and, um, 
you know, if security is a concern, uh, an observatory draws a lot of attention. Like if it's a clamshell dome like mine, um, I've had, so, you know, I have neighbors on both sides of me. Uh, both of those houses have had multiple families that have come and gone, right? They bought and sold the house. And pretty much the first question I get asked every time is, what, what is that thing in your backyard? And then when I tell them, you know, they say, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. But it really draws people's attention because it's such a unique looking structure. Yeah. Um, where's where's the roll off i think you could probably have if you did the roll off right and a lot of people have kind of landscaped them in people may never notice they might just think you're growing tomatoes on the side of your shed and that's why (laughs) things are there because often and you know a lot of the time like we're doing this at, at night when it's dark and you're keeping your area as dark as possible um, so they're just never going to see the, the activity, um, of the, of the roof actually coming off, except for like the odd time when you roll it off one day and they're going to think, oh, well, maybe you're just like working on the shed or something and have done this for some weird reason, but it, it really isn't going to draw that same, same type of attention. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I've been in, I've been in a few, um, roll offs and, and one I used quite a bit, um, I'll start with, there was one in my hometown, which wasn't the first one I went to, but I'm just going to mention this because it was, it was small. It was sort of like sky shed pod size. It was a, I think it was an eight by eight. It might've been either a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller. It had a 10 inch McCasher grain in it. Um, and it was low. So when it was rolled off, I think the walls weren't even quite four feet high. Um, but you had to sit to observe. So he had, he had the Schmidt green on like a very short pedestal mount. So maybe it was like a meter high. And then you just okay. sit like in a, in a low office chair, I think is what he had in there. I think it's like a couple low office chairs. And with the two of us in there, it was tight. It was super tight. Yeah. And sometimes it's nice to be able to stand when you observe. And uh, although you could stand in it and do other observing, you couldn't really stand and, and look through the telescope. And then one of the things, and I've noticed this with pretty much every, every roll-off and in general, every observatory that I've, I've been to, except for the Skyship pods seem to have, have done this right, is uh, typically they are way, way overbuilt. Now, I come from a zone that's impacted by hurricanes, like not really intense hurricanes, but so they tend to go really extreme on the overbuild. So... I think if I recall correctly on this eight by eight, which is pretty tiny and think about it, it's, it's got these very short walls. I think he said the roof was 600 pounds. And I think that if I'm wrong, I'm on the light end. And it was, it was pretty ridiculous. Like the infrastructure um, that he had put in place. I feel like maybe he had like a cross beam every foot minimum. It could have been every eight inches. Um, It was just ridiculously heavy. Um, and it was very low to get into, like he had to crawl and like, I couldn't go in there until he had it open. And then you had to crawl under the roof to go in. And I know you have to duck down to go into the pod, but you duck down and then you stand up, um, which seems like a bit of a pain, but it's really not that bad once you're set up in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, but in his, yeah, you really had to kind of crawl. And it was like going into a snow fort almost, um, which I didn't care for as much. And that's like a pretty common theme because the other one that I've been to a few times is the Abbey Ridge Observatory, which, which is 
and so the first one was in my hometown and the second one was in the other place where, where I grew up and, and where my parents live now, which was where our cottage was, and now the retirement home, um, was the Abbey Ridge Observatory. And it's got an Explorer Dome, which is sort of one of the um, sort of mid-tier, slightly higher end uh, prefab domes that you can get. Um, it was built by the creator of the uh, Earth Center Universe software and with the proceeds from that. He put a 14-inch Cassegrain on this rocky ridge. It was just about 10 kilometers from like I said, where, where my folks are. And uh, so I've been up there a few times. Um, and again, it's, it's a dome, but it's on a small building. And I believe the wall height on the building is around four feet. So you kind of got to duck down, crawl in. It's sort of like halfway in between. You got to go in a little ways, like a couple feet, and then you can stand up. And there's a lot of room in it. Like it's pretty roomy once you're in there. Um, but it, it is a bit of a, a bit of a scramble, like kind of going in. That, that's not so romantic, you know, as yeah, far as, yeah, yeah. As which, far. you know, and that's kind of common, right. For a lot of these observatories is like, yeah. you said, it's like a snow fort to get in there. Um, yeah. Yeah, but once you're in, you know, you're, you're okay. Um, let's see. I'm going to talk about sort of the best for the last. So the other ones that I've been to is uh, Mac, uh, Mark Bratton's, which was recently in sky and telescope. Cause that's only uh, maybe not even 200 kilometers south of here. And he's cool. a friend, friend of mine, a friend of ours. Which, and which edition of Sky and Telescope? I think which it's month? the August edition or something. I, okay. I don't, re- I don't have to look for it. Yeah, I don't at present have a subscription. I keep meaning to renew. I, I do like Sky and Telescope uh, magazine an awful lot. Um, and I have had it in the past. And my sub- subscription, I think it ran out. And then I just hadn't renewed it. And then I was going to renew it when the pandemic hit. And then just uh, I ended up buying the four-inch Takahashi. That's why I didn't renew it. Uh, so anyway, and it's, it's, um, one of the better ones that I've seen. It's a, it's a roll off observatory. It's an A-frame, uh, that rolls off. So like one side rolls and the other side rolls. And so he's got a 22 inch, uh, Dobsonian in there. So he can see, uh, south, due south and the full south sky right to the horizon. Um, only blocked by trees and sheds and that that are in his immediate distance by, uh, 50 or 60 feet and then he can see due north and then he's a little bit blocked east and west with the with the walls the a-frame is pretty high I'm guessing maybe eight or ten feet high um, but they roll off a fair distance so he just loses a bit but the winds here as you know blow mostly from the east or west and uh, and so he's got good shelter from them and it's a 22 inch uh, I think f33 or something like that so pretty high uh, telescope anyway so you can kind of look over those and as things either pass overhead or pass to the north or south um, he's got pretty much uh, most of the sky uh, covered I, I quite like that one um, the most unique observatory that I've been to was brought to me and this was a guy and he, he's passed away and he I never knew him that well but I did know him a bit he was a great observer uh, from from the Maritimes, Bill Thurlow. He was from PEI, I think. And he had a trailer mount at 17.5 inch, which was in Sky and Telescope at least once. And he would tow around with his like Volvo or something. And so he had a utility trailer with two decks and, and the telescope sat on one deck. And then there was an observing platform on the other. And then when he got to a place, they would jack up the, uh, the top deck so that it, it was sort of resting independent of the bottom deck. Um, <laughs> That was, That's that was the, the sketchiest thing. Like you think 
This is a 17 and a half inch F4 and a half. So you yeah. think how sketchy it is to go up and look through somebody's like 18 F4 and a half on a ladder. Now place that ladder up about three and a half or four feet on the second deck on a trailer that's at a dark sky location where it's pretty tough to actually get all four feet on any part of the trailer. So you have to get like a team of people around to like hold up one leg. And that's how I observed through that telescope. It was, it was the, the scariest, most sketchy, most unique observing experience. And like, I suppose if you fell off the ladder on, on a, like a 17 and a half inch F four and a half, it might twist your ankle, but you're probably going to be okay. If you fall off this, um, you're really going to hurt yourself. <laughs> like it is really, it was really high up. Like it felt super, super sketchy. Um, not recommended is the reason why that hasn't caught on. As far as uh, clubs go, like we have our, at, at the local club here, uh, there's, there's the dome on the roof of the science center. Mm-hmm. It looks awesome. Performance wise, horrendous because all the vibrations in the building go into the telescope because it's not, it doesn't have an isolated pier. Um, so there's, there's that one that I've spent some time in when I was in Ontario, I was at the KW center and we had an observatory on what was called dance Hill. And it was, it was really cool. It looked amazing. Like when you were like a mile away, like you felt like you were going to like the most awesome observing facility of all time. And I remember driving up to it for the first time and it was so impressive, but the buildings had fallen into disarray and were no longer really usable. They weren't really weren't using them. So it was, it had become just this huge overhead observing site. And they had, I forget how many buildings, at least three, one huge dome that was built on, I think part of like a old grain silo. So it looked just like a, like what you think of as like a, like a really fancy dome. Um, and like I said, from a mile away or, or two kilometers, it looked awesome. But once you get up close, like everything was rusted, even like this, like they had been using some of the, I think they had some roll offs or something there too. And, and they had been so dilapidated, like people didn't even want to store their gear in them anymore. So we were just observing and it was in the middle of a farmer's cow pasture. So it was full of cow uh, manure, the cows <laughs> come and wander around. So it, it wasn't great. Uh, looked amazing, wasn't great. Now, in Halifax, uh, before I became a member there, about maybe eight or 10 years, maybe not even that long, but in the 90s, they built um, a large roll-off. I think, I'm, and I probably am wrong, but I think it was about 16 by 24 or something like that big. So that's a really big roll-off. Considering like a private personal observatory, you're probably looking eight by eight. This thing is huge because they wanted a pile of people to be able to go in and set their scopes up. Oh yeah. They, they had a plan. So the first thing they built was actually a, a restroom, which most observatories owned by clubs or even private individuals overlook is having a restroom, which is really important uh, for all genders. Whereas, you know, some genders can more easily make use of outdoor rustic facilities. Others are not as, as comfortable just the way it is. And they put in a really nice washroom facility so that it was really uh, accessible to to all genders uh, to go out there and uh, make use of it at night, um, which was really good. And they put this big observatory roll-off in, and the plan was to put a warm room in, and they built, and this was the best thing. They built this warm room. I think it was 10 by 10 or something like that. Not really big. 
it had like an old kitchen table and chairs and I used that worm room like so much. That was the most used facility that I used out there. The washroom, like I'm used to camping, whatever. So not a big deal for me. Um, and then the, uh, the roll off was great in the winter, in the summer, I almost never used it. Um, in the winter it was great because you could roll it off and it was clear of snow and ice and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, I mean, wow. Like what a big, big thing to roll off. And the warm room had propane heat. So you could turn the heat on be nice and warm. Mm-hmm. The great thing about so that nice. is, yeah, I could go and I could take my warm clothes. I didn't have to change in them. Just wear my sneakers and jeans and whatever. And, and we'd go out and, uh, you know, everybody kind of take, take their turn and use it like a change room, basically. Probably it was mostly used as a change room. And then like, I would get cold and like, I tend to get cold and do long sessions in the summer. And I would just get a little too cold and want to go in there and take the, take the edge off. And uh, it really extended my, in fact, I credit that warm room with, with a big portion of my uh, ability to observe because um, I'd be able to go out and extend my sessions often all night. I would often observe just all night out there. The sun would come up and then I would go home and go to work um, as a much younger person. Um, And the observatory though, Uh, and their plan in the long run was to make more roll-offs and to put a big dome out there. But um, as they noted, like more and more of us were just observing around the observatory and not even using it. Hmm. And so they had put some gravel out and, and every two or three years we would do a bit of a fundraiser. I, I donated a lot of money to the observatory because they, they would take what we said and we want it and they would come back with a price and say, okay, all you observers, if you guys want this, this is kind of what it, it will cost you. And I, I think at that, in those days, I spent more on that observatory, I think, than I did on my own personal telescopes. I actually don't think I bought uh, hardly any personal telescope stuff. I just put it into the observatory because I wanted bigger pads and different things and heat for the warm room and blah, blah, blah. So I would just kick forward money for that. And uh, they expanded the... A large gravel area and and it just that is now the largest thing there and pretty inexpensive they just move the gravel around and then they put a bunch of uh, cheap cement patio stones around uh, made a bunch of spots for people to actually set up and cut down a few more trees and trees being uh, less of a commodity than they are here in Saskatchewan um, and man it was great everybody would just set up outside the observatory a few people maybe if you were doing imaging or something you would set up inside the observatory um Mm -hmm. so you could have your gear ready for for multiple nights in a row but for the most part you know we we just use the uh the area outside and again like the roll-off became sort of really 50 percent used just for storing scopes and 50 percent used for for observing for people that were just doing imaging but uh that really taught me that maybe just having a nice solid flat surface was uh was was the best thing to have for for observing yeah yeah i don't disagree and like you know another option that can work for some people is um like you can have uh all your gear um set up on your mount and tripod and then you just you can get like this little wheelie thing like a dolly that's your tripod sits in and then you can just wheel it out of your garage uh, or shed uh, to where you want it to observe with and then it saves you from having to lift it 
and makes moving it around a little bit easier. Um, so that doesn't work for everybody. It depends on your backyard, but that's another mm -hmm. option to um, having kind of quick, easy, accessible gear to go observing with, but not have to have the commitment or the investment of an observatory. Yeah. Yeah. And I've often thought ideally, like, I, I think what I would like is because I have refractors is to have uh, either possibly a pier, but maybe more, more likely would be to have a, uh, a semi-permanent uh, wooden pier slash tripod combination so that it, it doesn't have quite the lag splay easier to kind of walk around or, or sit around and sketch and then kind of have that uh, sitting out. And then, you know, um, you know, if it was at a spot where I'm going to be for a few days somewhat, you know, on my own private land to be able to be there and put the telescope up and get a good cover for it and leave it covered in that. But then when I leave, kind of tear it down a bit, maybe leave the tripod, uh, which would be affixed to the ground pretty solidly in place. And then, uh, you know, worst case scenario is that, uh, you know, the tripod gets struck by lightning and burns down or whatever, or whatever, but it would, it would just basically be in a way like what you had going, uh, in your backyard without having to deal with, um, you know, the actual structure around the tripod. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I've of, often thought that might be a, a pretty good uh, solution for me anyway, because one thing, you know, we've talked a little bit about more like the mechanics of the observatories. But for me anyway, one of the observing experiences, one of the things that I don't care as much for, especially about the domes, and I've been to other domes too, like the St. Mary's Observatory Dome and a bunch of the Skyshed pods, which, which I think are, are some of the best domes, um, and the Explorer Dome, is that... You just have that little slit, and like at the at the observatory here at the science center, you just have that little slit to look through, mm -hmm. and so you really don't have that much sky. And you know, if you're doing outreach, um, you get a lot of people that are just kind of milling around, um, not really doing any astronomy or learning anything. And and kind of when you're up there at the telescope, it's neat because you're you're there and you're looking through, and it's very focused. And the domes look amazing. Like I just love the the aesthetic of them. But boy you just have a really, really small patch of patch of sky to work with. And then always the hassle of rotating it and that. And, and then like if like oftentimes, like I want to look at something in the South, I want to look at like this time of year, maybe like get a really good view of the Triffid Nebula before it gets too much lower or the, or the Lagoon Nebula or the Sagittarius Star Cloud, which is down low in the South. And now I want to go and look at the double cluster Andromeda over in the Northeast and so you'd have to like slew the telescope over and move the dome all around and then kind of get it lined up with that part of the sky seems kind of like a bit of a hassle to me. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it's different for everybody. Um, I think it's important that people have awareness of all of these potential considerations that you need to make if you're going to uh, build yourself an observatory or buy one of these pre-made ones. Um, because they can be great and they provide a lot of benefit, but it doesn't come without some trade-offs. Yeah. I think like as well, like maybe even if, if I went a step further, it might be to an observing deck. I've seen lots of people do this and they'll put like um, isolated sections on the deck for either setting up a tripod or, or, or putting a, a pier or some people use like a, a portable pier like I was talking about before and then they just have it sitting there and they bring the telescope out and put it on and then they'll have like a chair and a table and that and that kind of thing it's sort of like an open air observatory 
That is some appeal to me, though, like typically they don't put any sort of railing or anything around it. So I would be a little bit nervous. I found one I was going to send you this week and this, this person put like a roll off shed, like a tiny, tiny shed that rolled off around his telescope and the, the deck platform was maybe four or five feet by six or eight feet for observing on. But I think if I did that, I'd, I'd break my ankle eventually stepping off the back of the deck when I, you know, because <laughs> I'm not as good about like kind of being aware of my ground surroundings in the dark like that as some people must be because boy, like I feel like that just has breaking an ankle written all over it. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely adds some danger. <laughs> exactly. So, so anyway, I'm not really sure what, what I would do in, in the long run. It's certainly really uh, fun to kind of sit around and uh, daydream about, uh, about the different, uh, the different options. But I really think like in reality, just having a, having some sort of permanent pier or, or tripod even set up and sort of in my mind, I think what would be super cool would be to have um, that tripod arrangement, some sort of relatively inexpensive, easily replaceable uh, tripod that was uh, maybe staked into the ground um, and then have like a, almost like some sort of bought at a very inexpensive price, like antique table and chair out there to, to have my star charts and that on. I think that would be really kind of cool looking as well. And you, you could tell people you had an observatory and then when they came and saw this, I think people would, would laugh and it would be funny, but I think it, the practical uh, application of just having uh, a permanent tripod and then uh, a, a good table uh, to, to work from and put your eyepieces on when you walked out there, um, I think that would be pretty awesome. So you just like take your telescope out. So you're probably down to that two trips again, but I think the comfort level would be, would be really, really high either just even in a field, if you had a flat spot or in a, or maybe put a deck on. But I think, I think the more rustic you can make it, I think uh, the least maintenance you would have to do. And I, I think it also like to have that, I think would be a pretty cool aesthetic. So, so in my mind, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm working towards is, is this very, very basic uh, uh, setup, but still to call it an observatory. And then uh, hopefully, hopefully people would, would come and then see it and, and laugh and realize <laughs> there's nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's the spot really, I think is, is the key. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, that's sort of what I have for for backyard observatory, Shane. Um, you know, we've kind of taken people on a little bit of of a tour of some of the ones uh, that we've been to. I I've been to a few, and I've seen lots of presentations on them. I I guess the one thing that I don't care for as much about being in an observatory is that uh, they inevitably block that one part of the sky I'm trying to observe, even even at their best. So uh, it can be a bit of a challenge and. Uh, I think as well, um, they never seem to cut as much of the wind as I, as I would have dearly hoped, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you, you know, the clamshell is, is, is pretty good for blocking the wind. The roll offs, you're a little more exposed, but, uh, everything's a trade-off. Yeah. I, whatever I do, I don't want to have high walls and you know, I keep drawing it out and the walls just get lower and lower and lower until I'm back on the ground again. So it's just yeah. nice to, it's nice sort of just to be in the open air. And then, then like the other thing is some, some of the land and this, this is really what has solidified my thinking on this is 
kind of like unbroken land. And I sort of have a, a pretty big reluctance to damage natural prairie. I don't, I, I think like I've learned enough about how rare natural prairie is that if I do end up getting that piece that, that is natural prairie, that um, I probably would be pretty reluctant to doing any damage to natural prairie. I think there's some spots on that land that, that aren't, but there's the big site for the observing, I think is very natural prairie. So I think it would be uh, no more, no more damage than what we would do when we go and, and go out into the grasslands and set up our, our tents and stake in in places. I think that's about the level of, of, uh, of damage that, that I would do. And I think that doesn't really have any, any appreciable damage to, to the natural prairie environment, just no more than what a few stones uh, might do over a period of time. So anyway, that's where my thinking is, is right now. And I think it would be uh, certainly a lot of fun uh, to have something, but uh, at the same time, really once you get out there and start observing, it's really just about what you're looking at and the fun that you're having, whoever that you're with. Yeah, exactly. Just about getting out and enjoying the night sky. And for me, part of that is just keeping it simple and, uh, you know, as, as little effort as possible. I really hope that you're going to say keeping it real. <laughs> I was going to say. We could edit that in there. <laughs> we could edit that in and that that would be like, that's right, Shane. Keep it real. Okay, but I have nothing else to add. That would have been amazing if we could have just ended on that and pretended like it was, <laughs> that was the way it was. But anyway, okay, well, um, unless you have anything else to add, I think, I think I'm good. I think I'm, I'm kind of settled into maybe not getting a fancy observatory and just, uh, and just enjoying, enjoying the, the night sky and, and trying to get a very simple plot of land to, to pad out a, a spot in the tall grass. Yeah. Sounds like a pretty good plan. All right. How can people uh, stay in touch with us? Uh, they can find us on Twitter. We are at actual astronomy. Uh, people can email us at, uh, we are actual astronomy at gmail.com. And as of just yesterday, all of our podcasts are now available on YouTube. Uh, and we will continue to put the new podcasts on YouTube as well as all of the other uh, apps and formats that we've been on up until this point. Yeah. Um, a little caveat about the YouTube feed is, is that the video aspect of it is just our logo. Um, maybe at some point in the future, we'll look at adding some other visuals to the video stream, but right now it's just, uh, we want to get on all of the platforms so that people can listen to us, you know, where, wherever they are or whatever they, uh, you know, are most comfortable using. So. Sounds good. Well, and Shane, you are the one to thank, and I, I sincerely thank you for for all of your your work and uh, and the awesomeness. Uh, sometimes uh, inserted in German for some strange reason by my iPhone, but um, <laughs> I really really meant to say, yeah, that's that's really awesome. You know, uh, the work that you've done here, I certainly do do appreciate it, and all the work that you do on on the podcast and. Uh, and putting up with my uh, my bleary-eyed, very tired ramblings on, on weekends such, such as this. So thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs>